0: We never know where life will lead us, or what may hinder us along the way. But while every day can feel like one big question mark, it doesn't have to. With the right insights, strategies, and solutions from Western and Southern Financial Group, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind.
1: Welcome into Tailgate, the Mobile slash Las Vegas edition. Renner in Mobile. I am in Las Vegas. We will be connected soon again. Going to go over the AFC and NFC Championships. Going to look at those games. Also, some takeaways from the East West Shrine Bowl. We've been here for the last three or four days. And then preview the Senior Bowl, which will take place, obviously, practice starting on Tuesday. Let's get it. Before we get into the AFC and NFC Championship, Mike, talk to me about the weather in Mobile because Vegas, kind of cold. We just come out of one of the worst hotel situations I think anyone's ever put anyone in. How is it right now? It looks like a nice
0: hotel. It's nice. It's, oh, it's actually the weather is better here in Mobile than it was in Las Vegas. And the weather wow. has changed. It's going to be 60s, maybe 70s. So I'm looking forward to it. Hyped to be here. Sad I didn't get to go to Allegiant Stadium today. The Death Star looks sick. But – we're get to see some prospects this week down in Mobile. I am very excited to dig into this quarterback class, offensive line class, a lot of top talent here.
1: Allegiant Stadium was awesome, and I think it brought some more fire out of the players here at the East-West Shrine Bowl as well. Saw some guys chirping a little bit more. Bully ball McCall. Marquand McCall from Kentucky was screaming his ass off. It was a lot of fun at Allegiant Stadium today, but we're recording this Monday night around 10.30 Eastern. Going to travel to Mobile tonight, a little red-eye action. We'll be at the Senior Bowl all day tomorrow. Yeah, my to- red-eye
0: my red eye was not great. It was it, We got on the plane that was set to leave at 1 a.m. And already, like, I'm kind of hurting because while well, we went, we'll get into what we did for the game here in a little bit. But kind of hurting. would like to just get on the plane, fall asleep. We get on the plane. They say, we can't use this plane and make everyone get off the plane and find a new plane. Two hours later, I'm getting on a plane. 3 a.m., we're leaving Las Vegas and I am dying. So hopefully your night goes better than my night did.
1: The boys were, were buzzing for the AFC and NFC championships, man. We went out to Circus Sports Swim, which is just an absurd place to watch any game, let alone the AFC and NFC championships definitely had. I was going to say,
0: I'm going to revamp my power rankings from last week. Circus Swim's number one. Yeah, circus swim is the best place so yeah. not going to not go into a game. That place is awesome uh to watch an NFL game for. Where
1: is the best place to watch an island game? Oh, Las Vegas at Circus swim I would agree. I would agree. Before we get into the games, Josh McDaniels, new head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. We're here in Las Vegas. He did for us. Also got over um Patriots. They're going all in on the Patriots. GM hire yes. coming from the Patriots. Obviously, Josh McDaniels. And I'm hearing their could be some more Patriots size for the coordinator that he does bring in specifically on the defensive side of the ball. Your reactions to the McDaniel's hire?
0: It's it's wild to me that this is the opportunity that made him jump ship there in New England, because I, I thought after uh, you know after Brady leaves with Belichick at his age, I thought he wanted to be the heir apparent after him, like, you know, turning down the Colts job. I thought he wanted to be the guy who takes over from Belichick when Belichick ultimately hangs him up. And now with, you know, with uh, Mac Jones there, you would think it would be a nice dig to have as the offensive coordinator. But now he goes to a division where you have to go against Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes, you know, twice a year, each of those guys, if not, maybe Aaron Rodgers as well. Uh, I just think he must have one, and given a, a pretty hefty paycheck and to be given some serious control over this roster and drafting to want to leave what he left in new england because like i said it's just gonna be a difficult spot to win you know with what you're having to go up against it's going to be tough so i i, I love the hire from the raiders perspective to go up against those guys but for mcdaniels i, I just don't know what the upshot is here for las vegas moving forward
1: a couple things on that. The GM that they did bring in was an executive with the Patriots. It's Dave Ziegler, and when they asked, you know, Raiders reporters had an opportunity to both interview both Ziegler and McDaniel's at a press conference today. Ziegler has final say on the roster. He was very adamant about that. He felt that that was important. I think another big takeaway from that was Joshua Daniels really spoke to the failed coaching experience he had in Denver. I think one of the quotes that stuck out to me is he said, I knew football. I didn't know people. Now going into this situation, maybe it isn't a control thing, right? Maybe he is willing to, he thinks that with Ziegler in Las Vegas, this pairing can help move this roster forward. But I thought the funniest thing from that press conference was one of the Raiders writers said, how does it feel to go to a team that already has a top five quarterback? (laughs) <laughs> you're talking about Derek Carr, which is absolutely fantastic. I don't even know if he's top five in that division. <laughs> no, but uh, I do Dude, think I love that, that. that. It, it's a tough situation, too. It's a, you're, you are putting Josh McDaniels in a situation where he has to compete with Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes. You said potentially Aaron Rodgers if he makes the trip to Denver. For the next you know few years here, it's going to be very difficult, and that starts with Derek Carr. Do you think they ultimately yeah. like, put all their chips in one basket with Derek Carr? Is this a trial year? He's entering the last year of his contract. And what do you think Josh McDaniels ultimately does with Carr?
0: Man, I don't know. I, I mean, I think he takes this, like anyone taking this job like that, I think you would do it with car in mind as the guy because because uh, it's difficult with where they're at to find a quarterback, you know, to find an heir apparent. But you never know. I mean, they may have this whole plan to not move out with their car. So that one's still a big TBD. I think with his contract right now, I would kind of treat it as a trial year.
1: Let's get to the AFC and NFC Championship Game, but before we do proud sponsor of the tailgate podcast is manscaped and if you are going into super bowl weekend without manscaped like without your trimmer your buzzer 4.0 you're making a grave grave mistake very important that you get your manscaped manscaped i think is probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me personally i think i need to get some manscaped on my face my beard and hair is looking a little crazy but i'll tell you what down low I've said this before. It's a basketball, basketball court. Okay. It's clean. It's easy. Manscaped uh, cheers to 2022 and resolutions. You can actually keep, how about having clean and shiny balls all year round, all year round, 365 days a year. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to save your balls this year and make the ball drop into 2022 the cleanest and sexiest ever. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to Manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off plus for shipping. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to Manscaped.com and use code PFF. I brought, you know, you, you can travel with this, right? We're on the road. We'll go to Vegas. If you're not bringing... The Manscaped travel bag to Vegas, you are screwing up the performance package 4.0, ultra premium body wash, but all this stuff is super important.
0: I just used it, but to shave my face, not mine.
1: Really? You use Manscaped to shave your face after I have you used it. I have two shape. different razors. I have two okay. different razors. Okay. Okay. It's a good question. It's a good but question. But it works.
0: We're like sort all for that too.
1: Okay. Uh, get 20% off and free shipping. <laughs> get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. It's New Year, no pubes in 2022 with Manscaped. All right, let's start Bengals Chiefs. This game was absolutely electric. If you could tell, my voice is kind of shot. A lot of that is from screaming, cheering on the Cincinnati Bengals here in Las Vegas. We were very one of very few Cincinnati Bengals fans at Circus Swim Club. Chiefs fans were all there rampant. They were popping bottles in the second quarter, bro. There were Chiefs fans. Yeah. Popping bottles when they went up 21-3. It was insane. I remember Ty, our executive producer, is sitting right in front of me right now. He's like, they're popping bottles. That's a bad sign. And it was. It was. 21-3. to They don't end up getting the touchdown at the half. They, you know That was a fantastic play. I think it was Eli Apple who tackled him there, or was it Chidobe Awuzie? One of the outside corners tackles Tyreek Hill before he can get in the end zone before the end of the half, and that is when you knew. It was the popping the bottles, Tyreek Hill getting tackled, That the Cincinnati Bengals are going to claw their way back into this game. A wild, wild game. Bengals were seven-and-a-half-point dogs in Arrowhead. They win this game outright in overtime by three points. Now Evan McPherson, the guy who kicked that game-winning field goal, is two field goals away from tying Adam Vinatieri's record, for the most field goals made in the postseason, and nine points away from the most points by a kicker in the postseason. It is a special, special run for the Cincinnati Bengals, and it was an exclamation point in Arrowhead on Sunday.
0: It really feels magic. Like watching that game on Sunday was an incredible experience. Just like being there with two diehard Bengals fans and just like seeing look on their face. It was (laughs) was was completely unexpected. Like now not completely because I obviously picked that uh, to happen and basically outlined how it would on last week's show, but even still did not prepare me for what it would be like when it actually did happen. Uh and, and shit, I think two two big, big shout outs. Obviously, everyone here has shouted out Joe Burrow, but just some context behind how insane it was for him to lead this comeback. His guards in this game had pass blocking grades of 0.1, which, point one, Jackson Carmen, with point one. I don't know how we differentiate between zero and point one, but Jackson Carmen got a point one and Akeemadet got a 1.8. They they gave him nothing on that side when those two were. That's insane. Mixing in at right guard, respectively. Quentin Spain, 61.4, Isaiah Prince, 50.5. The pass protection was awful. Joe Burrow mitigated it by getting the ball out of his hands as quickly as humanly possible. Uh, Seth Galena wrote a great article about this, about how basically he was just speeding through his reads. Like it was one read, get that ball out, make sure I don't get killed because I have no other choice. And he really didn't and still leads their comeback. And the other shout-out here, Lou Anarumo, the defensive game plan, masterclass. The three-man rushes in the first half, I even tweeted about it, were not working because he was pairing three-man rushes with zone coverage, the soft zone on the back end, giving, and then when Mahomes did break out of the pocket, that left guys open because there weren't, you know, guys matching up with those wide receivers the whole time. Second half, switched that game plan, and they, they had... The game plan all game long, I think about 50% of Patrick Holmes' dropbacks were versus three-man rushes. Second half, though, he paired it with man coverage on the back end. And on those plays, Patrick Holmes, two of eight, 35 yards in a pick versus those, eight, those three-man rushes paired with man coverage on the back end. A master class from the Bengals' D.C. Hats off to him. Uh, I, mea culpa on my part, I was, had low expectations for him going into the season. He has exceeded them far, far away.
1: That was an insane pivot in the game plan. I read that piece as well from Seth Galina that's on PFF.com right now. You should go check it out. An insane game plan and an insane pivot from Luan Arumo. I think I want to also highlight some critical moments in this game. I brought up kind of jokingly the popping bottles and Tyreek Kill getting stuffed and the momentum, whatever. But second half, the BJ Hill pick, which I don't think was entirely mm-hmm. – Patrick Mahomes fall like it was just a really good hand up and an insane interception from BJ Hill, who people remind us Billy Price was traded for BJ Hill, the the center that obviously the failed first round pick. They bring in BJ Hill. That interception was a huge turning point for the Cincinnati Bengals to start to crawl back into this game. And then following that third and three, third and three, he takes a big sack on the following drive. They don't score the next drive. Third and six takes a monster sack on that next drive. They don't score third and goal. On the next drive, takes an insane sack. They put a field goal in. Then, then the two critical situations where they get the luxurious need pick three and out. Overtime, win the toss, three and out. The better team it was won. A three also. and out. It
0: was a pick. It was a pick. Oh, pick.
1: Out. Well, yeah. It was, essentially, it was going to be a three and out. But yeah. yeah, it was a pick. Like third, it was first and ten, no, no, no yards. Second and ten, no yards. Third and ten, it was a bad pick to to Von Bell. Like this, off the better team won this game. And I know Chiefs were favored. Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback you're taking in the NFL over the next ten years. But the Bengals showed up to play. Like, you let Sabaje Pirine beat you one-on-one. I'm looking at you, Charverius Ward, to go a 34 or 40-plus yard screen-class touchdown. That's on you, B.J. Hill interception. Joe Burrow getting out of that Chris Jones sack to extend that drive. Like, this was a clinic. And I think the biggest concern I had with Patrick Mahomes, I know a lot of the blame has been shifted toward, say, Andy Reid and some of the play calling, them getting conservative. He took too many bad sacks, specifically on third down in this game. And when you look at when he was under pressure in this game, on 11 dropbacks, 11 pressure dropbacks, only three completions for 25 yards and a touchdown. Also took four sacks, and a lot of them on critical downs. Mahomes struggled against these three-man rushes, right? Struggled when he was given those time. He took some bad sacks. I think some of this blame needs to be shifted onto Mahomes and what was just a a failed second-half performance from him.
0: Yeah, and even the bad sack to Sam Hubbard at the end of the game, that the fumble that almost ended it right there. Like, he had guys, you know, he had guys that he was even looking at, if you're looking at the end zone camera where his eyes are, and he just wouldn't pull the trigger. I think that was the biggest thing. It was an oddly gun-shy, gun-slinger in Patrick Mahomes. Like, that was just, it didn't add up. It's not the guy we've seen over the past, any time in his career. Like, that, that is just, it did not compute that he would just turn into that guy on the biggest stage. So that part was very surprising. But I, I do have to go back to that play before the half i think that's probably the play that doesn't didn't get talked about enough and how insane it was that to be where they were at what the three yard line with multiple plays multiple shots at touchdowns and you're thinking at worst you're going up 24 to 10 at the very worst 24 to 10 more likely than not i think everyone would have bet they're going up 28 to 10 and that's nailing the coffin there at the end of the first half Dumps it off to Tyreek Hill in the flat to try to get him in before there when the play before he smartly dumped it in the ground. Just uncharacteristically like poor football judgment plays, poor football IQ plays from Patrick Mahomes that that's why they lost the game. Like you said, a lot of this has to go back to Patrick Mahomes and it truly does for them KC in this one. Just a rough
1: situation. I did want to mention one thing on the Bengals side that isn't overwhelmingly positive, right? <laughs> Even though like, obviously they win and it was an insane piece. Joe Mixon in this game had 16 rushes on first down and averaged 3.7 yards per carry. I had multiple people tweeting at me saying, why is Zach Taylor running the ball on first down? Cause I've been on this train on this podcast for weeks, months. Why do they run the ball this much? No player, in the postseason, is averaging fewer yards per carry this postseason on first down than Joe Mixon. And guess what? No player has more carries on first down. 3.4 yards per carry on first down. It's a wasted play. You have Joe Burrow, future Super Bowl MVP if they win this game, and you're feeding Mixon, overfeeding Mixon, in my opinion. that I mean, It's a big reason why that offense got off to a slow start. It's a massive reason why
0: they were not I mean, Romo Romo if you brought it up Romo brought it up on the broadcast. He's like, you know, week 16 and 17, they were giving it in Burrow's hands to let him pass early. Now for some reason they're not like and running the ball and even brought it up. So I thought that was interesting, but it's like any time it just goes back to, who do you want to get who do you want to sign the game for you do you want the worst offensive line in the nfl to sign the game for you exactly or do you want jill you know it's not even about Nixon, right because
1: i think Mixon is yeah. a phenomenal running back it's about the offensive line it's about those guys you mentioned jackson carmen in yeah. spain who re- re- earned sub 2.0 pff pass line grades guess what <laughs> that doesn't show up in the run game they're not road graders in the run game yeah. either so let's get to this rams 49ers game this one at the time felt like uh an exhale right because the Bengals Chiefs game was absolutely yeah. electric I think the the beers are also setting in for me during this Rams 49ers game where my tempo got slowed down quite a bit but Rams 49ers Rams oh I know oh I know it was <laughs> Rams 49ers um 49ers have a I think a 10 point lead going into the third quarter, the quarter. Rams are able to oh, I'm sorry into the fourth quarter into the fourth quarter rams are able to come back cooper cup looks electric down the stretch burns him in for the slot for a touchdown late and then the chaquiski tart pick I mean drop pick when they're up three the 49ers are up three is an insane part of that game um ultimately rams win by three and guess what you made fun of me on the preview show because i said rams- no
0: i was gonna bring it up i was gonna bring it up
1: the rams are gonna win but the 49ers cover so you're like oh so it's gonna <laughs> be decided by three points then i was like yeah and it did it did mike so screw
0: you well i said i said i wasn't going to give you credit because you, either if I wasn't gonna give you credit because you were gonna be correct either way with both yeah. these games with how with the way you picked them, so I wasn't gonna give you credit unless it was decided by three points or less. So here I am giving you credit for for Love putting that one spot on, and you did. Uh, but this one again, it came back down to Matt Stafford versus Jimmy G.
1: Yeah,
0: and now Matt Stafford made the ugly throw to Tart that yeah it should've been picked. Obviously, I'm not sure that really like was as bad. Like, I'm not sure that's that's like one of those picks where you can't for, say for certain that that's a game ender. Like, there was no, like, no, 10, it was not ten, a 10 game minutes game. left. Like, that was not that wasn't even like Morgan Burnett sliding against the Seahawks in 2014, where it's like, man, if he just doesn't slide, they definitely win that game. Like, I I don't think you can say for certain they sh- for sure win that game if he makes that pick. But Jimmy G made nothing close to a play down the stretch, nothing close to a play. Uh, like not only like was he trying to throw the game away and ultimately did like there was nothing in that arm that was giving them enough to compete with, like you said, Matt Stafford, Cooper cup, this Rams offense.
1: And one of the crazy data points that I was talking to our public relations manager, David Safaro about is, so I picked Samuel under 36 and a half rushing yards and the counter to that when I was betting it was no, man, this is where you get the ball to your best guys. And he's going to get fed. He's going to have all these carries. He's going to have all these touches. He had one touch in the fourth quarter. Debo Samuel got the ball one time in the fourth quarter. The 49ers, that's a failure in my opinion. You have to feed Debo. And he, he played a really good game on the touches that he was—he did get, both rushing and receiving. He was obviously phenomenal. That long touchdown he had early in the game was insane. Like, that's vintage Debo. He's it's, it's one of your best players. It's not your best player on offense right now. So the fact that he only got one fourth quarter touch, I think was a huge concern. And a lot of that's on Jimmy Garoppolo, but I think you've got to scheme him more touches down the stretch.
0: Yeah, this was quite easily. So, like, one of the biggest reasons, you know, the whole six straight – oh, my gosh, my uh, my speech impediment from my childhood just came back right there. But the six straight wins uh, sort of stat – I guess that's not a stat, that's a fact – that Cal Shanahan had over Sean McVay heading into this game. The biggest thing was the 49ers, for the most part, run the football on the Rams. The Rams showed up, showed their ass up in run defense in this one and have to shout out Eric Weddle. My God, the guy was – Playing pickup basketball a month ago, gets picked up on the roster, leaves the Rams with five run, to, run stops in this game. Absolutely master performance. And one of the biggest one, one of the biggest plays of the game, it's not going to get remembered too much, but it's before the fourth and two that the Rams that the 49ers had, uh, midway through the fourth quarter, that they take a delay of game penalty. fourth and two from the Rams 45. Think they're going to go for it. They don't. Take a delay game penalty. Punt it on the second and one that led to the third and I believe it's like a third and three. Uh, and then they obviously didn't convert. End up punting. Weddle beats a crack block. Gets it in the backfield. Tackle for loss that. I'm not sure. Like he doesn't, he doesn't beat that crack block. He doesn't read that play that quickly and make that tackle. That's a first down. All of a sudden they're close to field goal range. All of a sudden this is the 49ers possibly pulling away. That play was a massive difference maker. That's not really going to be remembered too much. But if you don't have Eric Weddle in that situation, this game may have ended very differently. So massive shout out to that performance there from what's he 37, 38, just out of the league for three calendar years. Unbelievable, unbelievable what's going on right now.
1: I want to save obviously a lot of our Super Bowl preview conversation for pods later in the week, but Line opened up, I think, at minus four in favor of the Rams, who will be playing in their home stadium at SoFi Stadium. But it's now stretched back out to minus back years. Two, back to back years. Now it's playing, now it's been stretched out to minus four and a half. My early reactions to that number is why? Why are we still fading Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals <laughs> by this much? We're fading them yeah. too much. Like this line, in my opinion, I should be three. This line should be three, three and a half. I don't think. It's the better quarterback getting points. And I know it's a road game and the Rams are going to be rocking. I get it. And they, you know, the biggest matchup. Mm, will they?
0: I mean, will it be rocking? It won't, no, be, I, it won't, be, it won't yeah. be.
1: But, and the biggest mismatch you're going to hear for the next 14 days is Aaron Donald and the Rams interior defensive line versus the Bengals interior offensive line. And that is going to obviously be a massive, massive mismatch in advantage, advantage for the Rams. But better quarterback getting points. I like Burrow over Stafford, man. I think four and a half is too much.
0: Yeah, I mean, they have been since about Christmas time the, the most impressive team in the NFL, the Bengals. I don't think you can really debate that. Um, being the you know Chiefs twice, the fashion in which they've done it, and the thing is, everyone's going to keep pointing to the mismatch, and, and it is Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd against this offensive line. But it's like it's been a mismatch the whole season. You know, it, it's yeah. been something that they've now accounted for. And Joe Burrow has learned to live with, and they're still winning games. And I think, and I'm going to go back to this, the other side of the ball, there's also mismatches that favor the Bengals in this one. I think this Bengals secondary, again, is very well equipped to slow down this Rams passing attack that, you know, hasn't been all too you know, explosive. They're not winning purely based on their offense. They're not lighting up scoreboards this post season. So, uh, yeah, uh, TBD. But I do think I said I thought it would go the other way when it opened up. I think I thought it would be bet down towards the Bengals instead of be getting bet up towards the Rams.
1: Let's get to our Senior Bowl preview now. I guess before we do, do I, I wanted to tie a bow, a little bit of a bow on the East-West Shrine Bowl since I am leaving Las Vegas. I think some of the standouts from today's practice and kind of some standouts from the week. Uh, before we get into it. I know you have, weren't able to see today's practice at Allegiant Stadium, but a big, a big winner, in my opinion, has been Kyle Phillips, this UCLA wide receiver that has easily looked the most comfortable as a punt returner, and that's probably he's probably going to position himself in that role as well. And he's been the easiest separator at the receiver position as well, both in the red zone and away from the red zone this week. We had him talking to Trevor Sickma, another analyst here today. He's like, I want to win offensive MVP. I want to win the MVP of this game. And it's like, He's looking that way right now. I think I think Kyle Phillips is looking that way to be the the practice week MVP and the game MVP. He's been a big um, a big winner. And then on the other side of the ball, Ali Fayad of Western Michigan is the only guy here consistently throwing different, diverse moves at guys. Right? He won with a ghost move against the Utah offensive tackle Bam Olacini, who's getting a lot of attention because he came out with like an eighty-six inch wingspan and like thirty-six inch arms and some crazy stuff like that. But he has been. Polished, executing high-end, hard-to-execute pass-rushing moves, and Eilie Fayad of Western Michigan's been another big highlight. And then one more: Mark Juan, Bully Ball McCall, the Kentucky defensive tackle. They call him; he calls himself Bully. His nickname is Bully at Kentucky. He's never played more than 271 defensive snaps in a single season through his years at Kentucky. A lot of that, some of that being from a suspension, but also some of that being from. Some weight concerns, some conditioning concerns, et cetera. He got all the way up to 380 at one point at Kentucky, has dropped down to 350 since then. But guess what? Guys running gassers after every practice. But his choice, this guy's, this guy's committed. Okay, this guy's committed. He also got in a fight, I think two days in a row. <laughs> he punched this dude in the face on the all 22. That's pretty funny. He's a loud, high energy guy. And when we talk to, I talk to so many coaches, coaches some scouts, people that are here. One of the biggest reasons you come to Las Vegas or these All Star Bowls in the East West Ryan or the Senior Bowl is to find out who these guys are as people. If anything, we find out from McCall the dude's nasty, high energy, and wants to get better, and you're showing, you're seeing that every day this week.
0: Yeah, I'll just say this about Sophia and Phillips. I, I actually McCall is probably the one who's moved the needle the most for me in terms of like prospects. I, I think with Phillips, you could still see him being a UDFA because six foot wingspan. 29, six-inch-inch eight arms, eight-and-a-half-inch hands. Like, he just does not have the traits that, like, it's difficult. We talk about the wide receiver position, translating college to the NFL. You have a lot bigger windows and a lot bigger room for error uh, at a collegiate level when working in the middle of the field. In the NFL, those guys are, you know, when you have limited sort of catch radius, like a guy like Kyle Phillips does, You can't go up and get, you know, sometimes a lot of throws in when you're beating zone coverage over the middle field with these long linebackers, with these long safeties, a lot of times you have to put the ball outside of where the guy is. And when you don't have that wingspan, like I said, when you don't have that sphere of influence, you're just not going to be as effective a target and as reliable a target uh, at the NFL level as you may have been at the collegiate level. The One more shout. shy out. away from those guys.
1: One more shout-out before we get to our Senior Bowl preview. We had measurements come out for the Senior Bowl, I think, earlier today. Ryan Stonehouse, Colorado State punter. I think we've talked to multiple people here who are working at the East West Shrine Bowl and also some scouts and coaches as well. He's, like, going to be the highest drafted player here, right? Like, that's yeah. how good Ryan Stonehouse is. I actually tried to field some kicks today from him today. Did you see that?
0: Did you? I, I, try-
1: I tried to field some punts from Ryan Stonehouse today. And I could not do it. I could not do it. I, I it's not about catching it; it's about like tracking the tracking ball. Tracking it, yeah. tracking the ball is so much harder than I thought. So, I guess I was there in Allegiant, fielding punts from Ryan Stonehouse, and the actual return man who works at the USF Bowl. I think his name was TJ Graham, who was drafted by the Baltimore Ravens in 2012 and and played in the NFL for seven years. He's like mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 like it's such a unique skill set that like hardest thing about it is tracking the ball. And I was like, dude, I, this is absurd. I like literally would be running like. And I couldn't find it. I couldn't find <laughs> it. It was crazy. I couldn't even get my hands on it. I did not realize it was that fucking hard.
0: I want to do that. Damn it, Thought I missed the best day.
1: Dude, it was sick. It was sick. At Stonehouse, I, I mean, we talked about it after, two. Like, I brought him uh, uh, on the show. and We talked about, you know, how hard it is. It's like, yeah, dude, that's not a joke. Dude, this, this is one of the hardest gigs in the world, man. It was tough. It was fucking tough. But uh, that was another big highlight. I think he gets drafted mid-day three, man. Ryan Stonehouse. Has got a, he's got a cannon. And yeah, he does. Let's get into the Senior Bowl preview. Before I do, proud sponsors of the Tailgate Podcast. Going to do two back-to-back here. DraftKings, the moment we've been waiting for since September, is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get eighty dollars in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet From almost a third of the country, bro. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football for contests for Super Bowl 56. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook and official. Sports betting partner of the Super Bowl 56 21. Plus. See slash sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state specific responsible gaming resources. Gambling problem called 100 Gambler in Tennessee. Call or text the TN Redline 1 800 889 9789. In Connecticut, call 888 789 777 or visit slash chat. In New York, call 1 877 8 H O P E N Y or text H O P E N Y four six seven three six nine. Oh, switch up the read on me, DraftKings. That thing was aggressive. Let's go. Uh, We are not going to be in a legal betting state. Alabama letting us down, but I am excited to get out to LA for the Super Bowl. I know you and I will be heading that way as well. Let's get into the Senior Bowl preview. Do you want to go position by position, your top ranked position each thing, or do you want to start with like an overall measurements breakaway? What's your your thought here?
0: Let's go position by position, and we'll just go what to watch for. Just break down the guys who got shit to gain this week you
1: know i like it i like it starting with the quarterbacks here and that's going to be the biggest part of this week right it's gonna be the biggest part of this yeah. game it's gonna be the biggest part of this week five of pff's top six quarterbacks in the 2022 nfl draft will be here sam howell kenny pickett desmond ritter malik willis carson strong all in attendance bailey zappy in attendance as well the only one who will not be at the senior bowl or any all-star bowl this offseason will be Matt Corral of Ole Miss. He also did suffer an ankle injury in the bowl game. Start with Sam Howell, if you could.
0: Yeah, th- this quarterback class, it- it's unique in that the, it's going to decide quarterback one here. I-, I fully believe that, even though Matt Corral isn't here. Uh, Q- QB1 hasn't been at the Senior Bowl since 2018 when it was Baker Mayfield. That's you know, the ultimate QB1 who was drafted first overall in the draft. And this year, I think that changes. I think even if it may not be the strongest of classes, you still see at least three guys going in the first round. So this is going to have a massive impact on the stocks of these guys. And to me, it's going to be I think Sam Howell is the guy who's going to come out looking the best in a controlled scenario where it's just purely arm talent and accuracy. I think he is going to look the best in that regard. Like in the when it is the sort of one on ones now, it's can he operate in an offense that's not. You know, Bill Longo's, whatever the hell that was, RPO go ball special at North Carolina. That was basically figured out by everyone and their mothers this past season um, because it was just it's a simplistic, non not a ton of NFL sort of concepts. And so that's the biggest thing with how projecting forward and why he has a ton to gain by looking good here uh, this upcoming weeks. Kind of how Justin Herbert coming from that Oregon offense goes to the senior bowl, looks very good. That's how he goes. Six overall in that draft, and how you can feel good about him projecting to the NFL level. So yes, Sam Howell, one that I think has the most to gain, and the guy who is the one already making noise though is Kenny Pickett. (laughs) The hands wouldn't even let him get measured. And before everyone says, "Oh, they said this about Joe Burrow and his nine-inch hands," and look at what Joe Burrow is doing. There's a little bit of a difference. Uh, Okay, not even a little bit of a difference. There's exactly about three quarters of an inch of a difference between Kenny Pickett's hand size reported that scouts have, or is, people with knowledge say, he has eight and a quarter inch hands and Joe Burrow's nine inch hands. There has never been a quarterback in any modern database with hands that played in the NFL as small as Kenny Pickett's. So that's like, if you wanna say that, you know, whatever, whatever you wanna say about it, there's, it it's an oddity. And do you want to take the risk on that oddity? And it's a guy who literally has to wear gloves to grip the football. That is a little worrisome in my eyes.
1: 100%. I think people will make a big, I think there's a lot of people who look, Oh, it's
0: just hand size. What's that matter? Hand size.
1: That's what we're talking about now. This matters. No quarterback over the past 10 years has played more than hundred snaps in a season with under nine inch hands. Zero, zero, Mm -hmm. zero, not one. And, Kenny Pickett, there's this conversation around him being double-jointed, or his thumbs are double-jointed, and that's why he's, like, doing hands exercises to stretch them out or whatever. Like, that's why he said he didn't measure them today. He's going to try and get some of these exercises in and get them measured at the combine. But let's say they're eight and a quarter right now. That's what the report is from Dave Brugler. who said a scout had measured his hands before. Let's say he stretches these puppies out, and it's, like, he gets a half-inch bigger. It's still going to be, like, eight and three-fourths, which – Again, no quarterback in the NFL has smaller than nine-inch hands. No quarterback over the past 10 years has played over 100 dropbacks. The only quarterback that has is Jake Fromm, and he has mm-hmm. eight- and seventh-inch hands, which I don't even think Kenny Pickett with all the stretches and in it, the world is going to get to that level.
0: It's not like he's looked that great either. Yeah. But, and then the other reason why also like that this, this actually does matter, that like why this is a real thing and that is something to worry about, is the NFL ball is bigger than college football football. Like that is a real thing. So like, it is more difficult to hold on to an NFL football. It is about an inch bigger in circumference and it is about a half inch longer than a college football. So really there's, I actually didn't actually know that. Yes. There's an actual difference and why that's like people worry about accuracy with guys with small hands, because it's just a diff it, it's more difficult when you don't have the, when the ball gets a little bit bigger.
1: You know something I found interesting about the measurements, and we'll jump off the quarterbacks uh, shortly after this. But Malik Willis, what I thought is this rocked up, compact, you know, almost like running back bowling ball frame comes in at six foot two twenty, and Sam Howell weighs in at the same weight. <laughs> Sam Howell is six foot two twenty. Has run the I mean, football. Sam Howell's a
0: running back too. Like, I know, both... I know,
1: I know. I mean, and Sam Howell ran the football so much more this year for UNC than he did in previous years. A lot of that because just a massive drop-off in talent, right? Like both yeah. running backs leave, both receivers leave. They have to put literally the entire offense, build the whole plane out of Sam Howell, and they did. You know who led all of college football in force of his tackles this year? or at at the quarterback position, it was Sam Howell. Like, that's how good he was this past year. So, I'm I'm excited to see Howell, Willis, the crew down there. Let's get to running backs. Who's the name you're looking to watch on the running backs list?
0: Yeah, running backs, the really thing you only care about running backs because like vision, whatever, you get enough tape to tell that. Um, It's how they perform in the wide receiver drills, one-on-ones, and and as in the pass protection drills. So, who I want to see there, um, Rashad White, the Arizona State uh, running back, who I've—I don't know if I've been on record, but I'm going to go on record now. He's six foot two ten. I, I think you should just switch to wide receiver because I, I think his running style is not sort of conducive to translating to the NFL game. But the guy has 31-inch arms, has a long frame, very natural receiver, very natural mover out in space. I, I think this guy could be a weapon and one of those kind of hybrid players that splits time that we've highlighted on the show before is I think the way the NFL game could be moving. So I'd like to see him in the receiver drills and Zaquandre White, who is a very similar dude uh, to Rashad White. Uh, I think it's just a coincidence that they're both last names White, but he's 5'11", 210, and he has some cuts in the open field. Like he broke 29 tackles on 89 carries this year, but he runs, I think the best way to describe it is he runs like a wide receiver dropped at running back or he runs like high school football tape where it's just like he thinks he can do whatever he wants once he gets the ball, like runs backwards at times, like bouncing everything out. Like there's no rhyme or reason to the decisions he's making as a runner. It's the game as a between the tackles runner is not going to translate to the NFL, but the dude is uber talented, just in terms of physically what he can do.
1: I thought you were going to lead with this guy, knowing the measurements that came in, but the Florida running back, the bruiser oh, yeah. Damien Pierce shows up at five foot nine. That's how tall I am. two twenty. <laughs> Five foot nine, two twenty. A rocked up, beefed up. Five foot nine, two twenty. That is an absurd frame for a running and back. And
0: Apparently, and like you look at him, he he's not not to say that you're fat, but he he's, he's not an ounce of fat on this guy. Yeah, like, yeah. This, no, this there's fat, is, there's
1: ounces of fat on me for sure. Exactly.
0: Like there, there's this guy is a low body fat two twenty. He is a specimen at the running back position. I, I I really cannot believe he didn't get more play in that Florida offense.
1: Getting to receivers, a guy that stands out to me, and it's not one that I've watched. Like a ton throughout this year, focusing on other players at this school, but came away pretty impressed with his measurements. Six foot three, two hundred eight. It's the Cincinnati wideout Alec Pierce. And remember, this is a guy that was on Bruce Feldman's free list that has like legitimate athleticism for the wide receiver position. Alec Pierce of Cincinnati has been productive with Desmond Ritter. Six foot three, two hundred eight, with thirty-two and five-eighths inch arms. I'm excited to see Alec Pierce as one of these guys as a potential riser coming out of the Senior Bowl. But I guess highlights and names yourself.
0: Yeah, well, the, the top ranked receiver on PFF's board is Jalen Tolbert, who is from or plays at, at Southern Alabama, which is where the practices will be at. So, should feel at home, should be comfortable. But, <laughs> dude's listed at six foot three, checks in at the weigh in. Six foot. How, is, how, how are we doing? How are we lying this rough. ridiculously about guys, knowing that it'll ultimately be found out? Alec Pierce, like you said, He was measured at six or listed at six foot three by Cincinnati comes in actually six foot three. I don't know how we can just fake those two and a half or whatever plus inches and act as if they're uh, like, act as if this is a tall wide receiver when he's objectively not here coming into the senior bowl. So that one was wild to me, but I still, I don't think it impacts his eval too much, but uh, (laughs) that's just always comical to me. Wow, how these schools pump up their dudes.
1: Kind of a weaker receiver class this year at the senior bowl. It than is. The previous it is. years, for sure. And some other names that Romeo Dubs, the Nevada receiver, who's there with Carson Strong, the Nevada quarterback, 6'1, 204, 32 and an eighth inch arms. But also want to highlight Khalil Shakir, Boise State receiver that's been pretty electric at times, has had some really good flashes at Boise State. They'd come in at six foot one ninety five or no, one ninety-three with 29-inch arms, which is a key number for the receiver position. Working with Eric Eager on the, or not working with, but talking to data scientist Eric Eager about some of the college pro projections. Arm length, so important at the receiver position. 29-inch arms, only three receivers in the NFL over the past five years have played over 400 snaps at outside receiver with 30 inches or shorter arms. It's Robbie Anderson, Tyler Lockett, and Ted Ginn. Pretty much you got to fly. You got to fly. If you're going to have that short of arms and Shakira is a fast receiver, but I think it, I'm not saying this ultimately pushes him into the slot, but it will be a chick, a tech a tick in that box for him to moving kind of almost exclusively into the slot.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's what was his role at Boise. And that was pretty comfortably what I thought his role would be in the league.
1: Moving to the tight end position. This is a loaded group. We talked to Galco about this early in the process. who's obviously the director of the East West Shrine Bowl. We've also talked to Nagy about this. There isn't a Kyle Pitts in this class, but there are a lot of names that people like, starting with Trey McBride of Colorado State.
0: Yeah, this is probably, in terms of, like, talent, NFL talent, comparatively, year-on-year, top three positional group, I think, like, for senior-by-senior purposes. I think quarterback and offensive tackle both up there as well. But a lot of intriguing names. Um, Trey McBride, obviously, top of the list. But Cole Turner from Nevada. You have Greg Dolchich, who I like a lot from UCLA. Uh, Isaiah Likely, close to Carolina tight end that we've harped on being glorified wide receiver. Well, he showed up 241. And he showed up with 33 and one quarter inch arms. Like he's got a real possible possibility to turn into a tight end should he keep putting on more muscle. So I'm intrigued to see what he does over the course of the week. I'll also highlight Jeremy Ruckert as well, who one of the best blocking tight ends in the class is there down there in Mobile. The okay. I,
1: I, I have to say, I did not know. I, I, I looked at these measurables and almost thought like there was a misprint. But Connor, Connor Hayward, who is, I believe, Cameron Hayward's younger brother, correct?
0: Is, oh, is he? I see how to know that, actually.
1: I think, I think Connor Hayward is Cameron Hayward's younger brother. Cameron Hayward, when he went to the NFL, was six foot five, 295 pounds. And yes, he is producer Max Chadwick on the call. Six foot five, 295 with 34 and a quarter inch arms, 10 and onee8 inch hands. His younger brother, Connor Hayward, who played tight end for Michigan State, comes in at five foot eleven, two thirty nine, with thirty one inch arms, thirty one and five. Inch. That's insane. That's, That's insane. A That's a pullback. That, the a different. I thought he was going to come in. So I mean, I, I mean, looking at him, I didn't think he was going to be six Obviously, you could tell the difference there. But like, I didn't think he'd be under six foot. That's a much smaller, much smaller than I expected. That is a that is a fullback at the next level. You're not going to be swinging tight end at five foot eleven. But that was a that was a definitely an interesting. <laughs> an interesting uh, measurement at the tight end position. Shall we get to interior offensive line? Interior offensive line. I, I, I didn't have any monster takeaways from the measurables component, but I will say some are projecting him as a guard at the next level, but he did Darian Kennard, the Kentucky offensive tackle, who I think is currently positioned as a guard on PFF's draft board, did come in at 6'5", 324, 34 and 5 inch arms, 83 inch wing and 11 and a half inch hands this dude has mitts bro mitts and a lot of people are kicking him into guard and most of that is with athleticism and maybe not being able to kick up the speed but he's got the arm length. he's got the measurables at least in that way to to maybe stick a tackle um but I guess what are your uh takes on the guard class
0: yeah so this offensive line class as a whole um like I said one of the stronger positioning groups there uh canard though 11 and a half inch hands are some of the biggest. I've, I think that may be up there with the biggest ever measured, like combine, Super Bowl, whatever. Um, and the interesting thing with Kennard, he's listed at 345, I believe, on Kentucky's website. So he's down 20 pounds from when he was listed at by Kentucky. Hopefully that leads to a spryer Kennard in pass protection. I think he's kind of gunning to stay at offensive tackle in the NFL and knows that, hey, at 345, I wasn't going to get it done, but mm-hmm. at, with his absurd length and absurd hand size and absurd all around build. It still doesn't even hold a candle to what Daniel (laughs) Fa'alale, the Minnesota (laughs) office tackle, checked in at six foot eight, 387 pounds, a seven foot two and a quarter inch wingspan, 11 inch hands. The guy is an anomaly. There's nothing short of spectacular human being. 387 pounds. And it, it, I was so in awe of it, of those measurables that I will be ending up on Save Your Likes here late, a little later on for my performance. Oh, no. I'm
1: I am excited to see this. We'll have to get to that here soon. Another takeaway, the two Central Michigan tackles, right? 33-inch arms for Bernard Raymond. I think 33-and-a-quarter-inch arms for Gadecki, Luke Gadecki for Central Michigan. Are you, like – immediately concerned 33 is usually that cutoff for teams at offensive tackle you don't want to see him get under 33 uh, w- were you surprised by that number or I guess w- where's your head out after seeing that
0: yeah so I think all box ticking numbers for those small school guys I'll, I'll even throw in Max Mitchell the Louisiana offensive tackle he gets 33 and 5 eighths inch, inch arms I think getting under 33 is when I start to worry uh 33 of those more than we we've seen a ton of pro bowl all pro whatever offensive tackles play with arm length uh in that vicinity so all all those guys take the box in my book don't not going to worry about it really at all for the for those guys uh here on forward based off of it's going to be what the tape looks like the rest of the week and i think raymond uh trevor penning the north northern iowa offensive tackle all these guys have great opportunities here. Penning had a ridiculous frame himself. 6'6", 330 with 34 and three quarter inch arms. That's good. great opportunities for all those guys to basically make themselves some money this week.
1: On to the defensive line class guys that I am excited to watch. Kingsley and Agbury, the South Carolina defensive end came in at six foot three, 261 with 35 inch arms. Love to see yeah. that 83 and five, 83 and 5-8 inch wingspan, 10 and a quarter inch hands. That is what you want? That's where he wins. You need you need an Agbary to come in with that length and win that way. That was obviously a huge highlight. And then Arnold Abicetti, the Penn State offensive uh, defensive end, came in six foot two, two fifty with thirty four inch arms, which is another big a uh, uh, notable for me.
0: That's almost like better on the edge. It's almost mm-hmm. like a better frame to be shorter but still have long arms, because uh, like that, that translates as like a bull rusher. And now Abicetti. I'm not sure his frame was as big a concern to me as his how he'll test at the combine. So I think that is going to be where, cause I think he's going to show up this week and win consistently. I think he's going to be the most impressive guy in the one-on-ones. Uh, if not him, then maybe uh, Kingston and Avery who we just highlighted there, but I think he's going to impress this week, but it's going to be how much juice does this guy really have? Because I, I mean, he's high on PFF draft board. He, he is one of the highest ranked guys here, 29th right now. But is he, like I said, the comp in the draft got from Charles Harris. Is he Charles Harris where, man, it might take a little bit for him to start translating because he doesn't have that level of athleticism, or is he a little bit more than that and can make an impact early on? And if I think he goes to combine test well, he could be a guy who's pretty firm first rounder.
1: Two guys I'm also excited to see that came in on the lower end, at least from an arm length perspective, or I guess three. Boye Mafé of Minnesota, 33 and 3 Cameron Thomas of San Diego State, 33 and 1/8 inch arms. Then we also had Myjay Sanders, who I think, yeah, 33 and a quarter inch arms. Those guys all clearing, I think, leave over the 240-pound mark. Cameron Thomas, that's at 6'4", 264. I was talking to his brother out here. They said they practice every single day, even after practice, going one-on-one. Zachary Thomas is an offensive tackle here at the East-West Shrine Bowl. But that edge group. There's a lot of opportunity for movement, in my opinion. Like, I think these guys can go, like, Abiquetti, Boy Mafe, Maja Sanders, Cameron Thomas. Like, there could be a lot of swing here. Everyone talks about the quarterback class and who's going to be QB1, and he's probably here in Mobile. I'm not saying any of these guys take over Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau, but I think there is a lot of movement in the depth areas of this edge class with the, how they perform in Mobile.
0: I feel like you never see brothers that are OT, DN, combo. You don't. I feel like, it's rare. Like I think you see maybe like wide receiver D B could be a combo. I'm trying to think if anyone takes that. But like O T D end being brothers is usually it's like D if you're D end and you're like athletic enough that like your brother's also a defensive end. That's like I don't know. It's just you need to barely see that. Shall we get
1: to linebacker? linebacker. Yes. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. So a number of guys here. I think this is a talented position as well. I I think this class as a whole, like this is probably one of the best linebacker classes I've seen since started grading here, grading college football players at PFF. But the guy I'm looking forward to the most is Brian Asamoah in the one-on-ones in coverage. He's six foot two twenty-two. I think he's going to be have a week. I think he's going to come away with this. People talking about him. Can he be, can he sneak into the first round? Cause I know he's going to test. Well, this guy's going to go to the combine and, could very well run into the four fours, but I I think he is going to be the guy who we're talking about at the end of this, like, man, he really played his way up into a legit, maybe top 50 pick. The other guy though, that I'm a little more hesitant to say, is going to have a massive week is Channing Tindall. Uh, I, I'm not sure he's as smooth an athlete, but I would love to be proven wrong with how he looks in the one-on-ones with how he looks in coverage throughout the course of the week with how he looks in like a more, uh, a scheme that's not Georgia's, shall we say, where he kind of got to just run and hit anything he wanted uh, and has to play a little bit more within structure. I'm just curious to see how he'll look because he came in 6'1, 223. He is undersized. He is uh, kind of like would have been a safety, you know, a decade ago, but still has a good frame, long wingspan, uh, and could make himself some money if he looks good the rest of the week.
1: Two guys, I'm I'm excited to watch, and something I look for with linebackers too. And it comes, it's it's probably with every position, right? It's arm length, man. I mean, there's very few linebackers in the NFL with sub 31 inch arms, or even sub 32 inch arms that have a ton of success. It's one of the first things I look for. There's forward. a
0: lot with sub 32. That's a lie. Don't right. don't don't lie. Michael Parsons has 31.
1: Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I think the sub 31 is probably where I'm at, but yeah. guys clearing the 32 mark that I'm, I'm excited to see down in Mobile, Damone Clark of LSU, 602, 240 with almost 33 inch arms, 32 and seven eight inch arms. And then Darian Beavers, Darian Beavers of Cincinnati. keep going back to these Cincinnati guys, but I did not watch a lot of Beavers during the season. Again, focusing on Ritter, Maje, some of these other guys, Beavers, six foot four, 252, 32 and five inch inch arms over an 80 inch wingspan. I'm excited to see Derrick Beavers now linebackers one of, on the lower end of the totem pole in terms of um, what was I going to say? Linebackers on the lower end of the totem pole in terms of what you can actually glean from the senior bowl, right? Like yeah, linebackers are true. running back, but I'm still excited to see these guys up
0: mm-hmm.
1: secondary. Got to start with Roger McCreary. Roger McCreary, 29 inch arms. You saw it on tape, but when it gets, when it gets printed, under 38 we'll times it's very difficult very difficult to overcome yeah. that in the NFL if you want to stick on the outside. Now if you want to position him in the slot, there are a lot of cornerbacks with those aren't that arm length that have had success in the slot, but on the outside, you got to burn, man. You got to be you got to fly and you got to be able to attack the ball and I know Roger Perruedo has both those things, but it does it does stack some of the odds against him.
0: Yeah, and it's the other thing it's like I'm I'm not sure I'd be terribly worried if he had you know elite athleticism or some other trump card to make up for it, but he's just he's just good athlete like he wins with technique and savvy, I would say. I think like in the draft guide, we have a section that says where he wins, which go get your draft guide today. Let's like go. it just said savvy like he he is a veteran already. like he looks like he can come in day one, learn your offense and be up to speed. Kind of kind of like how I felt about uh, Peture Tan coming out last year. but it also with Patrick Tandy was, you know, six foot, six foot two long arms. Like he had the tools that were then going to work against bigger, faster, stronger wide receivers. I'm not sure McCreary has those in his toolbox. Those is the, is the worry uh, with him. Any other
1: measurements stand out for McCreary or, I mean, Kirby Joseph had a clock, some good numbers, six foot, two hundred thirty three and a quarter inch arms. I didn't have any other bigger notables. I kind of was kind of just blown away by where McCurry ended up.
0: Yeah, I mean, some of the – so in the defensive backs class, some of the sort of smaller school guys who got the invites I have some ridiculous frames. One's Tariq Will in the UTSA corner, who I'm excited to watch this year because his tape's very inconsistent. But he's 6'3", 205, 33-and-a-half-inch arms, and he is an elite athlete too. He's going to test really well at the combine. The other one's Tyson Anderson, the Toledo safety, 6'1", 204, 33 inch arms. Another guy who's going to test off the charts that, you know, are they test off the charts and rise like uh, Cal Duggar? Or are they guys who test off the charts and their tape looks rough the whole week? And you're just like, yeah, that's a fifth, sixth rounder that we'd take a chance on just because uh, maybe he can figure it out at some point.
1: Make sure to follow along PFFs coverage at the senior bowl. We're going to do in some live shows on YouTube throughout the four, three or four days that we're down there. So make sure you check that out. Also you hinted at up on a hammer at home. The draft guide is live PFFs 2022 NFL draft guide is live use promo code super 25 for 25% off a PFF subscription to go download your draft guide for 25% off. That means you can get it for $7 and 50 cents, $7 and 50 cents. You can access access the PFFs draft guide among other things in the edge subscription. And if you rate and review this podcast, leave your name, in this podcast, and send me a screenshot at, on on Twitter. Show me your name. Show me the rate and review on Apple Podcasts, five-star review. You'll get a chance to win a free draft guide. I'm giving away 20, two, zero, 2 free 20 free draft guides for the first 20 that show me a screenshot of their new Apple Podcast review. Shall we close out with fun to read, save your likes, and then we are going to get on power ranking Super Bowl party food items. I'm excited to miss mm. your list is absurd i just looked at it in the rundown your number three item might be the most insane thing i've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> what is that i need to get to this segment let's get to the fun to reads first we don't have quinn pulling from youtube we're obviously on the road but lane kiffin i'll read it to you. <laughs> this is the best thing i've ever seen on twitter no context College football gets a clip it looks like a tiktok of brian kelly our literal king a recruiting masterclass <clears throat> savant like grinding on this LSU recruit and doing some weird-ass dance. If you haven't seen this video, just Google it. Brian Kelly, search it. And then Lane Kiffin quote tweets it and says, did you lose your bet or something at Coach Brian Kelly? This can't be real. Photoshopped, account hacked, I mean, dot, dot, dot. I mean, it's the best response I've seen. I cannot believe he's doing it. Now, the counter argument is when Brian Kelly does this dumbass shit and it looks ridiculous on Twitter, everyone talks about it. And that's a win, right? No, no no, no press is bad press kind of situation. But I think this is such cringy stuff that it's a turn off for me if I'm a recruit. I'll say that.
0: I I think that's I honestly like have come around to the idea that that is he's not oblivious. He's very calculated, and he's doing these purely because he knows it's going to drive attention. and yeah. not only just drive attention to him, but drive attention to these recruits. Like these recruits, yeah, it looks ridiculous. But now people know who, like, people see this guy. Like, he is mm-hmm. trending on Twitter with this video, and it's all out there. And it's like, if you have some ability at all to laugh at yourself, you're completely fine with that. So I think this is, yeah, it's cringe as hell. And Lane Kiffen is absolutely hilarious for quote-tweeting it and <laughs> adding Coach Brian Kelly. But I do think it's a calculated play on Brian Kelly and the LSU sort of football department.
1: I will say this. Lane Kiffin is very good on Twitter, not even in a cringy way. Like, he's good on Twitter. His social media game is phenomenal. It rivals Tom Brady. I'll say it. Lane Kiffin rivals Tom Brady on Twitter. Next one here is from Nick Wright. Nick Wright tweeted before the Bengals Chief game, which was very, very sweet. Very excited for the fourth annual Arrowhead Invitational. Do you think they have a cool consolation trophy for Joe Burrow and the Bengals like they give to the second-place teams at AAU tournaments? Yikes. Old takes exposed by a
0: mile. I I just – I don't get the – like the the upshot of tweeting these like wholly over-the-top like things – I don't even know how to best describe it like this just absolutely ridiculous teardown of Dobro and the Bengals as if they don't have a chance, like, well, why even, why even go there? And, and all you're doing is setting yourself, like if, if the chiefs blow them out, does this make like, this is still a bad look for you yeah. <laughs> to even come with this. So that one was, that was a tough one for him. And if you tweet things like that, everyone in America is rooting for the opposite thing to happen.
1: Exactly. This one's for Brian Drake, actually, who does some work here at PFF. This is fantastic. This is an
0: actual fun to read. Yeah, This This was like an actual one that I saw and was like, wow, this is a fantastic thing."
1: 2022 offensive line cap money dedicated and 2021 final PFF ranking. So this is hard to explain if you don't throw it in front of the screen for the YouTube viewers, but it ranks how much they spent, and mm-hmm. cap space on the off- offensive line and then where they ultimately ranked in PFF grade 26 through 32 is Bengals Giants Dolphins Jags Bears Seahawks Steelers and then all of their ranks are 20th or worse in in yeah. that category now obviously the Bengals are the only team of that group that actually made it into the postseason which I think only puts more and well, more praise on the, for, res- oh, the respect on the Steelers name what's I, the I, on the Steelers I Steelers forgot name? the Steelers made it in as a seventh seed and we're like literally like 15 point dogs on the road but yeah. The Bengals, obviously, the only successful playoff team of that group.
0: I think it, it's just a very good way of showing that offensive line, probably as much as any position group in the NFL, if not more so. You get what you pay for, and you get what you invest. You know, it, it is a position that's fairly easy to evaluate. Um, you get a lot of, you know, individual reps at that position, uh, and. You should, and that's why money gets outlayed. Draft kit, draft capital gets outlayed accordingly. So if you don't spend it, if you don't put in the investment, you get these results. And now the Bengals are the, like I said, the anomaly here, still making it. But uh, I, I do think it's a very important point to hammer home for everyone saying, "Oh, our O line will be fine. These guys will develop." Not always the case.
1: Uh- Always the case. All right, this next one I'm so glad you fit into the rundown here. Brittany Matthews, who is famously Patrick Mahomes' fiance girlfriend.
0: Uh it's something one of those two. Okay, they're not married I, though. I still I don't think don't they're actually married. She so, tweets.
1: Yeah. She's the one who like. There's a video of her spraying champagne like a bunch of fans at the stadium uh, when they won the last playoff game they won over the
0: over the Bills. Yeah,
1: over the Bills, and then she comes out and says um i just want to tweet no i just i just wish i could do what i want without getting attacked every week that is embarrassing i don't know there's not even a lot of takeaways to be had on that that's just an absurd thing. To say.
0: and then and then they came out with the shirts where some of the proceeds oh, that's right. went to anti-bullying not all of the proceeds as if britney matthews you know and patrick Mahomes need more money some of the proceeds for these anti-bullying shirts would go to charity I literally
1: laughed that loud at this next tweet. Tom Pelicero, who looks like he was doing an exclusive interview with Kenny Pickett, put some pictures up right after um, it was found out that he declined, decided to not measure his hands. Tom Pellicero tweets out who was of NFL Network. QB Pick Kenny Pickett didn't have his hands measured here in Mobile, but he had a good reason. He's a double joint. He's double jointed. So his thumb naturally points in odd direction. And he's doing extra exercises to get an accurate measurement at the combine. So, He's double jointed. That's the reason. It's not because his hands are small. Case closed.
0: Tom Pelissaro and I have different definitions of good reason. Um, I don't know what double jointed is. I, I think I'm double jointed. I can pop my uh, my thumb back and forth, and that has nothing whatsoever to do with my hand size. It, yeah. is there, there's it, no are you, impact. Are you telling at me all. he
1: can't stretch out his thumb? I don't get it. Like, is it just permanently? There's just no way. And,
0: and also if it is permanently stuck in a spot
1: that's, that you that's can't bad. get it
0: wider that's still bad that might yeah. even be worse in fact <laughs> so uh, yeah can you pick it if, if your hands are truly 8 and a quarter inches like this is this is bad like it's not good I'll right. just say it's not good
1: all right save your likes coming from our very own mike renner quote tweets the daniel falale the minnesota monster his senior bowl measurements and you just say dear god
0: no, okay. All right. I was going to set the stage.
1: Okay. Set the stage. Uh,
0: because I did, I, I, I had a, a save your likes moment because, dear God, quote tweeting, just Dana these measurements is not adding anything. It is not good uh, content. You guys should not have liked that tweet. But I was very tired coming off of sleeping a good two or so hours on a plane, uh, coming from Las Vegas to here, was typing in all these measurables um, that are coming up. And I just see Daniel Falele, and I'm, that's all I thought. I thought, dear God, and then I tweeted it. And then as soon as I tweeted it, I thought, why the hell did I just tweet that? I'm not going to delete I love it, 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 though, because I'm not, not going to delete the tweeter. Bye. Save your likes. But save your likes.
1: Last, let's close out the show with this one here, and then I am excited to ship it to the airport and get to Mobile. Powell ranking Super Bowl party food items. This is the most absurd list you've ever put out. Both of our nope. number ones.
0: Go ahead. It's not absurd. This that last I won last week's power rankings. I'll just you say did, that. you I did. You did. You did. You did. You did. You did. All right. But number it, one.
1: Both of our number ones are wings, and I think that's. I think that goes without saying. Wings are. It's literally like. I mean, I just don't even know if there's a counter to wings. There isn't. Wings are the best Super Bowl food. I mean, it might be one of the best day day yeah. foods.
0: It, it's that one's pretty. That one's pretty easy. That's like a free space. If you don't have wings, number one. You, you better have some explaining. You better have some good reasoning behind it.
1: Number two, I actually went sliders. I like handheld sandwiches or sliders. So that way you're not – because one of the cons of wings is that, like, everyone has to have, like, their own, like, little wing tray, right, to, like, throw the bones down. Yeah. Having sliders yeah. to where you can, like, snag a couple of slidos for the boys, sit down, then go back if you need another slidey. There's maybe a slider variety there. I think that's a number two for me.
0: Okay, I, I like sliders, don't get me wrong, slider guy. But number two for me, and this was this is such a I, I said, <laughs> I said a cheese based dip. Now, that could be buffalo chicken dip. What I would have growing up was chili cheese dip, bomb too. But any sort of cheese based dip on a Super Bowl Sunday doesn't miss. You ain't yeah. gonna miss.
1: I, will, I won't say cheese dip misses, and I think maybe you know you could put it, I might put it in my top five, it's not going to number two. Cheese mm-hmm. dip's not going to my number two, but I like it as the top five. Number three for me. And this one, I put this one down. I think I thought it was a cop out initially, but honestly, I think it's a great call chipper. Chipotle, baby. Get Chipotle. They're not a sponsor yet, but Chipotle, you get the big ass. Remember when we went to the Notre Dame game with your friends or your family or whatever? And like they brought the big Chipotle catering stuff. Like that was oh, yeah, yeah. fire. Like that was, I'm not saying each order individual bowls and like have a great Chipotle day. No, like get the boxes, get the catering going. Making your own burritos, I I think that's a that's a fire play as well. Also, pretty cheap too, which you're gonna to have to factor in, right? Like no one's ordering flame and yawn. Okay, this is Chipper on a Super Bowl Sunday. I think that's good.
0: That one sucks. All right, okay, no one's fair. getting Chip, Chipotle at number three in your top three is a tough. I'd rather have tough scene for than you.
1: I'd rather have Chipotle it's than tough, cheese dip. Period.
0: Okay. Well, we'll, we'll let the listeners side. Number three for me, and this one's a little this one's a little odd call. <laughs> But this, this one is, let explain it. Meatballs. Have you ever had meatballs with, you get the crock pot of meatballs okay. with either barbecue sauce
1: or yeah. marinara wait,
0: on the wait. side, and you get the the toothpicks into the meatballs. Those are a bomb.
1: Oh, yes, sweet. Bomb Super Bowl food. Those are fire. I kind of want to reel it back in. Like, you thought I mine sucked? Those...
0: The meatballs are the best.
1: I guess I, I just thought of like the big meatballs that you sometimes get no, spaghetti, no, 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 but no. I remember my stepmom when I was a kid used to bring in like the mini meatballs and the mini meatballs yes. with the little sauce. That's actually not bad. I don't know if I put it over Chipotle, but the meatballs are fire. Those are fire. There
0: you go. Wings the cheese dipping meatballs. That's you got yourself a Super Bowl party.
1: That's going to do it for the Monday episode of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Go to speakpipe.com slash tailgate to leave voicemails for the mailbag episode. Also, go rate and review the podcast. You can leave a question in there. And if you send a screenshot, sending 20 draft guys to the boys, who do send me a DM of that screenshot on Twitter. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Tailgate.